Hey guys. How are we doing? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. Good. Busy as can be. I dude, I can only imagine. I appreciate you taking the time. And if you need any back, you just let me know. I'm, I'm excited to be chatting with you. Awesome. I just left 15 minutes with Gary, so he got me all all fired up. I'll see if I can have half his energy. I, I'm sure you do. I, I um, you know, knowing that we were talking for quite some time now, I didn't think that on today we'd be just pushing all-time highs with bitcoin and whatnot but i'm sure i've got to go out and get a, are buzzing i'm going out and getting the bitcoin tattoo on my arm. that's exactly right the mood i, I was wondering all my twitter followers i would <laughs> now <laughs> yeah the day of the blizzard are, yeah. are you in the are you in the city right now i actually was in jackson hole till yesterday we flew out of a beautiful ski town to come into snowy new york uh but i walked to the office this morning I live about three blocks from my office and I, yeah. I don't function well at home. The, uh, I get that as I'm back in my childhood bedroom, I, I've been living down on William and wall for six years and moved home during the pandemic. I still have my stars on the ceiling from the, the mid nineties. I like it. My, my glow in the dark stars. Penn state pennant. I like that. Yeah. A little Manchester United action. Got, Are you a Penn state a guy? Things. Yeah. Yeah. My whole family, my what dad, and uh, I graduated Penn state 2013. My younger sister, my older sister, my dad, his three brothers went there. They had a great, great wrestling uh, team back then. They yeah. have a great wrestling team no, every year. Of course. Year, that 13 team was great. Cal, I mean, Sanderson, when he came over, just yeah. the, the standards and excellence is. Just shocking. I'm a big uh, supporter of USA wrestling. Yeah. What is it for you? And if you're good, I'm just going to kind of get into it and, and conversate. Yeah. What, uh, what is it for you with wrestling that that is special or, or keeps you going? You know, I started wrestling when I was like seven. And it's one of those things when you're a little kid, if you're good at it, you like it. Because mm -hmm. you're like beating people up. And uh, and then all of a sudden you get into high school and it's brutal. Uh, it's brutally tough in terms of the commitment it takes to be good at it. And so when I look back, it helped me get into Princeton, right? I was a good but not great wrestler uh, in high school and in college. Uh, and it, it drove me a little crazy. Why wasn't I great, right? I lost in the state finals in Virginia uh, in overtime. And it was always because I got too worried. I lost all my energy and anxiety before I got on the mat in the big matches. Um, I almost was an All-American, almost was an All-American. That means nothing, nothing, yeah. zero, zilch. But I lost in the Eastern finals to a guy that I then beat. It was always in my head. Um, and so I look back at wrestling as having given me resilience. You're, you know, you, no one other than Kale Sanderson, who finally did get beat, no one goes undefeated, mm -hmm. right? You, you get the shit beat out of you lots of times and you, how do you get back up and go at it again? But it also teaches you great life lessons. Mine was, what am I so nervous about all the time? What was this, this, how to be, how to win or what? Your mom's not going to love you. You're, you know, yeah. it, it was, it, so getting through that helped me get through success and other things. I, I think there's a lot of that going on right now in terms of anxiety and worry and uh, to the point of sapping energy on just your own. Just, just wasted energy. My favorite wrestler, well, I have a lot of favorite wrestlers, and if I said I had a favorite, they'd all hate me. One of my favorite wrestlers is a guy named Kyle Dake, 
who was two-time world champ, four-time NCAA champ at different weights. Where did he go to college? He went to Cornell. Uh, Awesome kid. But they were asking him about pressure. And he was like, pressure's not real. It's just a fake concept. Like, it's not like your head is being squeezed. Uh, And he just wrestles for joy. Um, And I was like, screw that. How can he be like so woke and (laughs) in balance at such a young age? And I'm like, oh my God, how can I lose this match? What's going to happen? And you can't go through life worried about if you're going to lose this match, what's going to happen? Yeah. So yeah. And in business too, I would say, you know, I think um, something that, and a lot of people that will listen to this conversation is even whether it's the word billionaire or successful or um, kind of this ability to think, okay, in 20 years from now, like what is, what, what am I going to be like? How have you navigated just going forth and, and success? A lot of times finding a little bit of success can be the biggest detriment to people. You know, so I'm giving you a very different answer than I would have given you 10 years ago and even 10 years before that. What I now fundamentally understand is your mission in life and my mission in life, all of our missions in life, in, in lots of ways is to look inward. There are almost 8 billion people on the planet. All 8 billion people got screwed up by their parents. <laughs> you know, your parents loved you too much. They didn't love you enough. People suffered small traumas or big traumas. Mm-hmm. And it's to understand that impact and then let it go. And it's often not a one-time let go, you know? And so my wrestling story, why was I, why could not I sleep the night before the state finals match that I was so nervous I could barely walk on the mat. Uh, I had this idea in my head that if I'm not the winner, who am I? You can't win like that. And so it took me a long time in life to get over that. And I once thought I was over it. Fortress had gone public, I was a billionaire. I was like, I I must've solved all those issues. And then 08 happened financial crises and I felt like a fraud. Uh, I wasn't a fraud. We made a couple of mistakes. I felt like a fraud. And so it's that identity. So we get trapped in these identities. And so your, your life journey is to understand they're just stories. And they're stories that you were given to you by your mom and dad, even though they were trying their best. And so you become an adult the moment you understand the impact your mom and dad had on you, let it go and love them anyways. Right? Yeah. You wouldn't be here without them. That, the- that's really hard to, to convince a 24-year-old kid. No, but my mom is so great. My mom, I, mean, I, I have a, a friend who's having a hard time and he's, he, and he's unbelievably successful at a young age. He's 23 years old and his parents have wanted him to be something and he believes that. I'm like, dude, that's just your parents' story. It's not your story. And I'm not saying your parents are shitheads. They're wonderful. Yeah. They wanted the best for you. Let it go. You'll move out of their house to start. Mm-hmm. Like, Grow, you grow up not just by moving away and doing it on your own. You grow up by understanding how dramatically programmed we all are. Yeah. And you only get to that through meditation or travel or prayer. Or I, I've talked about ayahuasca and mm-hmm. psilocybin as ways to get by therapy, by lying on the fucking shrink's couch. There, there are lots of modalities to understand who you are. Uh, most people don't start that journey until they really screw up in life. And I started after I went to rehab, which is not a, a great story that I, well, you know, always love to publicize it, but I yeah. had a great career and then I didn't. And yeah. the only reason I started looking at myself 
was because shit, I was sitting in a you know pool of tears. Yeah. Uh, My dad always two two things that that stuck with me that are are on that and and on the the parental thing, but going to school, he always said is a Mark Twain quote: "Don't let schooling get in the way of your education." And, and you know, realizing that you that your own te- the teacher has motives and there's a reason for these things. And then also something that always stuck with me was those, the time of either graduating high school and anyone you go up to that's older than you, the, it's not, how are you? How's life? What are you interested in? It's where are you going to college next year? Yep. And then, and then when you're coming right around graduating college, it's not how you've been, how are you healthy, anything you're passionate about? It's where are you going to work next year? And you get put in these boxes constantly. You know, it's very American as well. Um, not that Europeans and Asians don't have their own psychological issues to deal with. But when you're in Europe, people say, how are you doing? What are you doing? When you're in America, the person, what do you do? Yeah. Right? We're defined by what we do. And that's not necessarily healthy. Um, it drives me crazy from elementary school, middle school, college. Almost no school teaches life lessons. I always thought like you should have... Tony Robbins should be teaching a class at Princeton. Uh, you know, my friend Krishnaji, who's this spiritual meditator, should be teaching a class at Princeton. And yes, you should be taking classics and physics and, and engineering or computer science, but we don't teach enough life lessons, that, that journey. Uh, it's not integrated into our curriculum. It's not integrated. It used to be integrated into the church. Mm-hmm. The church often does pure dogma yeah. as opposed to inside yeah so do you question and and the perspective that you have sharing very refreshing we're going through so much right now you mentioned eight billion people on the planet another thing that's always stuck with me my dad born 1959 he's he says there's roughly around four billion at that time over the last 60 years we've doubled the population they say 2050 is like kind of 10 billion you know we're troubling times with the pandemic do you feel 18 year old self versus now? Are we living through different times? Are yes. things sped up? Yes. I, I had this conversation last night with my son, who is 23 and is a thinker, uh, more of a thinker than I am in lots of ways. And he was like, Dad, 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 I don't think anyone notices. Like, not enough people notice that we're in such an unstable time. And I was like, so I've been a macro investor, right? Macro is big pictures of the, uh, the trends of the world. It's history, it's, it's markets. Um, we're in my lifetime, and I'm 56, in the most unstable time we've been in. The gap between rich and poor has grown to bizarre uh, you know, magnitudes. Mm-hmm. The COVID crisis has accelerated that you know, I'm looking at my portfolio. I've literally doubled my net yeah. worth this year as lots of really rich guys have. Um, and it's being more and more clear to me, you know, part of that's to access, part of that's to knowledge, part of that's to having the money to, to bet. And I'm looking at the bottom 50%. And it's not the bottom 50%, it's the bottom 70% now that really are because of external circumstances, because of where they grew up, because of the education they were given, running as fast as they can and, and going a little bit backwards. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so we've got political instability, we've got economic instability, and we have change happening so fast, it's hard to know how to, what you're building to. Mm-hmm. And so 
yes, it's harder to be a 22 year old kid right now than it was when I was 22. Yeah. Not even close. I, I hold that. No, it's also more exciting. I definitely. And I think I always just, I think things are much more polar. You're, it's either much weather better or much worse, that kind of middle ground. And I hold up the phone a lot. And, and even in this past election phase and, and debates and stuff. And I, I worry at times that we just don't talk about what's, what's happening here Yeah, from, from an access to information. And in some ways, historically, when we've had such a huge uh, gap between rich and poor, it, ends, it always ends in revolution, always, mm -hmm. or a natural disaster that wipes people out. Wars and, 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 and you know, the wars, yeah. plagues, revolutions. This is like the opiate of the masses. I keep thinking, when are people going to rise up? And then I'm like, wow, geez, you get Netflix pretty four hours a day. Yeah. There's a lot of good shit on Netflix. Yeah. Uh, like, we have this weird world where there is a group of goods where there's not inflation, right? Mm -hmm. A flat screen TV costs 1 20th of what it used to, 1 50th. Uh, we used to go to a movie, even though it was only $4 a ticket. Yeah. Now it's $9.99 for all of yeah. them for a month on Netflix. And you can, if you're any smart on this, you can get them all for free by getting around the system. Um, on the flip side, you're how old? 29. 29. At one point, you're going to get married, you, gotta, you know, and you want to take your, everyone deserves, grow up middle class, upper middle class. You deserve to take your new bride to Paris for the weekend and stay in a fancy hotel for the first time in your life and eat at fancy restaurants. So let's think about what it costs now to fly business class. We're not even going to go first mm -hmm. to Paris for the weekend to stay at one of the top 10 hotels just because it's your freaking honeymoon. You deserve to and go to two fancy restaurants, right? It's probably 7,000 in tickets. It's probably $1,400 a night at these hotels, maybe more. And it's probably $400 a night at each of these restaurants. And so now you're like 28, 50. it's almost $10,000. All right. For you to be in the top 10% income earner in America, not the top 50, the top 10, you're making 135,000 a year. That's 11,000 a month pre-tax, mm -hmm. probably 8,000 a month post-tax. And so, wow, it's a month and a half of your work wow. just for, a, for the weekend. I guarantee you, and I'm having someone do a study, when I was your age, it was a lot less than a month and a half of work. Uh, yeah. a lot less in mm -hmm. 10 So we've had this crazy inflation in aspirational things, which is even drawing this, you know, what a pair of tennis shoes caught drawing yeah. this, this instability totter. And so I actually think, you know, it's, it's a, it's a, it's an exciting, but challenging time because at your age, most people think about how do I make enough money to buy a house, to date a girl, to get laid, to have a family? Uh, and we need your generation to be thinking about themselves, but also to be thinking about the world. Yeah. I didn't have to think about the world. I just had to think about getting ahead. How do mm -hmm. I become a part of Goldman Sachs? How do I? Now I have the privilege, the responsibility, the, the capacity to think about the world a lot through my philanthropy, through my how I do business to what I'm thinking about in life. Um, we're at a point though, where 
your generation's gotten screwed over in a huge way by the guys above me and my generation. We've run up debt that is impossible to ever pay back. Yeah. And so in lots of ways, it's not just a responsibility, it's a it's an essential need yeah. for, for Gen Z uh, and millennials to start working on these problems, to taking their jobs in context with how does this work in society? And so it's a lot more complicated. Uh, you need more political voice mm-hmm. and that means you need to vote. Young kids don't vote because they want to like get drunk and get late. Yeah. Young yeah. kids need to learn to vote because older people aren't dying nearly as fast as they need to. <laughs> yep. Do you feel that there's going to be this, this, uh, moment I saw there was a clip on, on your Twitter where you talked about we are, we're currently at the beginning of rebuilding the infrastructure and, and digitizing well, the, the one of the reasons I got into cryptocurrencies uh, wasn't just to make money though everyone says oh you're gonna yeah it was that at the core of the people that really built these systems is a revolutionary spirit mm-hmm. it's like the old system is broken and it doesn't yeah. work it's not fair. Think of Uber. I mean, yeah. Travis Kalachnik, world-class CEO, he smashed doors, he raised capital, and he built an amazing transformative company. Most of the wealth went to his original VC backers, guys like Chris Saka, who I love, to mm-hmm. Travis, to his, it went to a small group of people. And then it went into the stock market with another group of wealthy people. Mm-hmm. Uber is all about labor. The whole company is a labor-based company. It's immigrant, cab drivers, second jobs. Yeah, work. It's the working class. They got none of the equity. And the riders got none of the equity. Yeah. So the riders got a little bit better service, cheaper than taxis. So it was a benefit for everybody. I'm not disagreeing with that. Mm -hmm. And the drivers got jobs they didn't have before, which are flexible. So So those were still net positives. Mm -hmm. But the big net positive, the life was at the top, yeah. Went to a small group of people. Yeah. There is a potential version of that in a decentralized blockchain driven crypto tokenized world where those new companies get built and the users, both the employees and the customers end up being equitized in them. Yeah. Uh, I, I, and it almost feels when I think about government and and big and i'm not first in all the systems and all that but almost like we are instead of ripping the band-aid off and and reframing the thing it's like you're pulling the band-aid slow and it's kind of more painful you and- know you're you're 100 right and so th- this election was really interesting because trump was such a bad actor in so many ways but he was representing a group that didn't feel heard yeah people have become wildly passionate and he was a, a guy with big mental health issues when i talked about doing that journey understanding where he never did it and so he's got mm-hmm. this this the compounding nature of it. it it gets worse worse right he is in essence addicted to grievance i read this article he's addicted to grievance and so it's really bad to have a guy addicted to grievance because he needs more of it and so it's these guys screwed me and now even his guy's bar is now not good enough yeah and but he got elected because he represented this group that felt left out. AOC represents a group left outside. She is, is, is the voice in essence of the young generation of people saying, this don't work anymore. Like AOC yeah. is the, the, the rising star 
of politics in my yeah mind. i agree and a lot of people hate her and this and it, it only confirms my suspicion she's the rising star yeah she does an amazing job of analyzing what's wrong and she hasn't spent enough time if i would give my opinion in figuring out what the solutions to make it right mm -hmm. this election was just a time out from trump yeah so this is a timeout election yeah. and we heal a little bit but biden who's a wonderfully nice guy and, and 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 the cabinet he's putting together is a kinder gentler cabinet but it's a centrist cabinet yeah and it's let's do a little bit more of the same things and be a little more conscientious mm -hmm. that ain't gonna work yeah and so we need full on offense. We need full on radical shift. And I don't yeah. know if that's UBI. And it's scary because it radical shift might have really different results. And we don't know. Because right now, status quo is winning. Like, again, I, I've had my best year in years uh, in the middle of a freaking pandemic. It's crazy. And and I, again, I think a lot of the people that are listening to this, like we're in a recession, unemployment, but like, if you got a Robin Hood account, you're feeling kind of rich, right? Like the gamification of that. And and it's almost like where is it all going? And and I I worry because the it, we just keep getting polarized in the hey, I'm either doing good or I'm not doing good. And the people right. in power, it's very hard as a human to say I'm doing good, but it's wrong. Yeah. That's 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 a great insight. Someone said, is it unethical to be a billionaire, right? That's been a big debate. Yeah. And I'm like, well, geez, I don't want to answer that question. <laughs> <You know? Yeah. laughs> there, are, there are people that have done very well that have done unethical things, that have used their power to continue to, there are other people. I mean, I look at LeBron James, who I don't know, he's a billionaire, oh. he'll be one day. Yeah. What has LeBron James done other than play awesome basketball and been a very decent guy and given a lot of money away and spoken his right? And so I don't think he's done anything unethical, LeBron. Mm -hmm. And he might or might not be a billionaire. I'm sure he, yeah. he one day. Yeah. Um, and so the question hurts if you think you've been a good citizen and made your money the fair way. But if you step back and take your personality out of the way, you know, should we have a system that allows Jeff Bezos to, to make $275 billion when you compare him and his ex-wife? Yeah. Uh, if it, it, Let's assume Jeff did zero things in his life illegal or even immoral in his mind mm -hmm. he just happened to have a skill set that really worked in this yeah. and he and he event. saw it and he saw the patterns and he picked yeah it up. that it probably is immoral in that the psychic dissonance it creates with everyone down the chain and feeling less than isn't far outweighs the 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 actual good yeah the actual uh, good but it's a it's a really hard argument yeah and, you know america's about people having a chance to for make sure their, make their make their bread make their mark on the world mm -hmm. and we in general uh i think of my friend michael rubin mm -hmm. right who didn't go to college and who built yeah. this giant sports business fanatics we look up to and applaud and 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 are impressed with success and and for, for very good reasons. It's we're just in this world where that success is being amplified at a magnitude we've never seen. And that I think has really negative consequences. Yeah. It's it's like the genie is out of the bottle 
And instead of understanding how it can be distributed, it's either put it back in or I want to be kind of all the way up here. What uh, a change gears a little bit. I know uh, justice you, you talk a lot about, and I think information is going to lead to a lot of it. What has it meant for you? Uh, uh, my mother's Danish and um, we recently, there's the enactment of the, the death penalty here in the States and in, in Denmark, there's this story, there's an individual who did a ve- something very awful with a submarine. He's a scientist, he chopped up, I don't know if you heard the story, he chopped up his girlfriend in a submarine, million pieces. I think he got like 20 years. Then he broke out of jail in, in Denmark. And I guess that's socialism. Again, don't want to go too like deep politics, but they they don't give the life a life sentence. They don't feel it's their right to be able to, to do that. Um, I know you're working in criminal justice reform what is what does justice mean to you so listen i fundamentally believe you're not your worst moment it's not my line it's a great line it's brian stevenson's line you're not your worst moment i fundamentally believe everyone has the chance for redemption from the worst offenders to to minor offenders i fundamentally believe that where you are born determines a lot of your probability and chance of committing a crime, a random act of sperm eating egg. Mm-hmm. And so if you believe those three things, it's impossible to look at our criminal justice space uh, with nothing but anger, disdain, uh, and frustration. We have a criminal justice system that comes from the roots of slavery that punishes people. It's a punitive system that degrades people's character, and that leaves them more traumatized when they leave than when they started. We need to flip that on its head. We need a criminal justice system that looks at people who've committed wrongs and says, okay, they're gonna lose some liberty because they've done something that they're not safe to be in society right now, or you know what, even if they are safe to be in society, we feel some need for them to this will be part of their rehab yes but we're gonna from day one start helping them deal with the trauma that created crimes you want on the other side of two years three years six years ten years fifteen years people to come out healed then they become productive members of society they become taxpayers uh and we all feel better about it i have a guy working for me downstairs who spent 12 years for manslaughter Mm. uh he is the nicest, smartest, most thoughtful man I know, period. Like, not one of them. Yeah. You know, the one. And he went through a process of understanding where he came from, understanding how he did what he did, understanding and feeling remorse and say, how can I contribute now? And how can I make up and be a productive citizen? I let him babysit my grandkids if I ever have them. Yeah. Uh, right. I've, in the last, two, three years, probably had eight, 10, 12 people that had spent time in jail for manslaughter, murder, uh, horrific crimes at my house. And I would have let them all babysit my kids. So I've seen firsthand what transformation looks like. Mm-hmm. It's what I started this conversation with. It's about how do people get through trauma? It's yeah. hard work. They, they did the work and they got through and they realized that was a story. It was a bad story. And they're gonna let that shell go. Now, there is a tiny amount of people like this big 
that are what we call sociopaths. So in Germany yeah. or in Holland uh, or in Norway, if you're dubbed a sociopath, they don't let you back out of jail. Hmm. Too dangerous. Hmm. They treat you fine when you're in jail. Yeah. But Create a, a they space. They don't even call it a life sentence. They broadly say you're a sociopath and you're you're not getting out. Yeah. I I have asked prison wardens in four or five states. Yeah, how many sociopaths are there? And they were like, yeah, like almost this many. Like we like to think if you murder someone or if you rape someone, you're a sociopath. Some murderous rapists are, but most aren't. Most it's gang related or it's it's crime of passion or it's mm-hmm. it's out of desperation yeah. or. And I'm not, uh, listen, it would be remiss to say there's got to be a separate bucket that helps victims deal with their trauma. Of course. Because every single victim is traumatized mm-hmm. from the woman who's raped to the yeah. guy who stands by when the, 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 the firing goes on. And, mm-hmm. and but it's almost like we take more pride in punishing the, uh, the, 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 the attacker than, than helping the victim. Than helping the victim. 100%. And if you... You know, there's a group, uh, Alliance for Safety and Justice, that we know and really like uh, out in California that spend a lot of times with victims. And what you will learn if you actually spend time listening to the victims is that they don't want vengeance. Remember, most of the people that committed crimes come from their own communities. They don't want to see another 14 or 18 or 26-year-old boy's life. Because a lot of times they also have memories or thoughts of them not being that way. And so I, you know, counterintuitively, the people that are the victims of crimes don't want the horrible punishments. This horrible punishment dialogue comes back from our racist history, it comes back from slavery, it comes back from needing to think mm-hmm. you're different than someone else. Yeah. And that needs to be healed somehow as a country. But so like that, that's my criminal justice mantra. It mm-hmm. starts with this big macro that we need to flip the whole thing on its head. And once you can commit to that as a person and then as an organization, as a country, how we should restructure things is a lot more obvious. Um, Why it's hard is same thing you said earlier. It's all fucking moving so fast and shit's going along and it's just, and status quo is hard to change. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Because hard work is generally, I believe shied away from if it's not in your immediate best interest, yeah, I, I guess you could say. And, a- and and hard discussions are shied away. Oh yeah, painful discussions. Mm-hmm. Like that's why people don't grow up. They don't mm-hmm. want to go there. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah. listen, I, I you know I probably still drink too much, but I'm sure you got tons of friends that drink too much. Drinking too yeah. much comes from some medicating something. Yeah, and you'll say like, oh, I'm just not going to do that again. I'm so hungover. Yeah, I, I, yeah, yeah. yeah. And then three days later, yeah, yeah, yeah. You, you don't totally. want to deal because it's, it's hard to deal. Yeah. And, and I'm not, I don't want to sit here acting like I have dealt with all my shit. You know, my wife and my brothers and friends would tell you, I got a closet full of stuff I need to keep dealing with. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but I do the know the process of powerful. healing. But, Even the acknowledgement is very powerful. Uh, on that, from, from the alcohol conversation and, and in the town I grew up in and have been around cannabis a lot. And, and the conversation around cannabis has changed crazy in my, yeah. in my opinion. Uh, 
I know you're involved in, in with psilocybin and, and as a form of, of health. And, and I think this, these conversations and almost like- is confusing to me in that with absolutely no trepidation, categorically, we should decriminalize it. Mm -hmm. It's bizarre that people go to jail or in jail for smoking a joint or dealing in, you know, you know, marijuana. Um, I remember I was in California and I bought some gooby bear edibles and I went to Ohio and I was getting checked in at a, at a wrestling match and they spilled out of my pocket as I was looking for my ticket. <laughs> and I'm like, I looked up and there are cops everywhere. I'm like, fuck, I'm going to get arrested. Like something I just bought an hour ago or two hours ago. Like that's, it, it makes it no actually happened to me in Ohio. Did it? Yeah. Coming from California, I was driving cross country and I got pulled over in Ohio. <laughs> so that, that, that did happen to me. Sorry. Sorry. About that. It's just stupid. It's, and so like, let's start by decriminalizing things. Yeah. Now, the next question, listen, you see when cannabis is legalized, opioid use goes down because people are using something else to medicate and it's a lot less, no one's overdosed from, from pot. Uh, I do think it is a creativity and productivity downer, not upper. Mm -hmm. uh, and so I, I, I don't think widespread constant use, ha having it become as, as ubiquitous as alcohol is a good thing. I think it's going to happen, mm -hmm. but I don't think it's a good thing. Yeah. I, I, I think the conversation if you were to your point on a Tuesday at two o'clock, having a glass of whiskey and saying, it's helping me make my job, me better at my job. You're getting one look, the cannabis yeah. user. I, I talk a lot, uh, like the conversations I have either with family of habitual habits can be incredibly powerful and strong. And that doesn't necessarily mean that you're addicted right. to such, such substance. But I do think that the acceptance of it will then get us to a place of saying, okay, I get your little over here being, you know, part of the cannabis crew, but you shouldn't be doing that on a Tuesday at two o'clock. Like, just like you can have a glass of whiskey on Friday or Thursday, long work day. As so that's, a, that's a great point. You know, some addiction specialist once told me that addicts have three C's. Your, your thing has negative consequences, right? from your actions, uh, there's a compulsion to do them, the invisible hand reaching for the line of blow or the joint or the yeah. whiskey, and that there's a lack of control. Yeah. I'm good, I'm good, but after five, you're not, you're on your 19th drink. And so those three things, you need all three of those to really be an addict, mm -hmm. but there's a, there's a far lower bar where it's just habitual, the yeah. cigarette, you know, these yeah. are the, the Diet Coke. I've tried to give up Diet Coke literally like 19 times and I do it for a year and then I let it snip. This is terrible. Yeah. And then you see one thing and you're like, boom. I, All of a sudden, four days later. I never, just... I, I'm starting to drink coffee because to try to get off the Diet Coke. And I, I do for a while, but I'm just, in, it's not Diet Pepsi. It's Diet Coke. I have a habitual Diet Coke issue. Yeah. Uh, it's not a terrible yeah. addiction because yeah. again, no negative consequences, uh, not real negative consequences. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. And also this a little bit understanding, we, we've kind of almost gone into a place of not everyone 
you know, this, this idea of perfection or chasing perfection, or even, you know, cancel culture of like, well, I don't agree with that, or, or this person should be beating themselves up because they have a Diet Coke problem. Right. That, that, you know, my wife, uh, who's far smarter than I am on, certainly on all these issues, uh, you know, has this gentle, be gentle to people, like, mm -hmm. be gentle to yourself. The, the thing I learned on my ayahuasca trip is that I thought I was, I was really nice to people, but I wasn't gentle uh, because I was not gentle to myself. I'd be like, gosh. <laughs> and learning to be gentle to yourself is a real skill in process. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. And you, you know, learn, that's, that's one thing that you kind of take in, I would say, from your environment and growing up, you know. It's, it's all the programming. The weird yeah. thing, and I have four kids now, and so I look at my own little experiments. Yeah. The weird thing is parents don't think they're programmed. Yeah, totally. And it all happens zero to four years. You're like, mm -hmm. I can't, it's not when you're a 15 year old. It's literally those early years. You're picking up these stories, these smells, these clues, these that form those sense. I used to throw papers away if I didn't get an A on them when I was in first grade, walking home a little freaking sixth grader and I would throw it in the sewer. So I'd only show my mom A's. Yeah. I, when I looked at my first graders, I was like, that, that, that's an impossibility. Like and how, to have that comprehension. That, to... that in his head. Yeah. Well, my mother told everyone I was going to be a Senator and I was the cute blonde kid and I had hair back then. And, and so I'm sure the little four-year-old thought I better be perfect. Otherwise, yeah, like, my, my source of love is going to no longer exist. My mother never wanted to. When I first came back from Yemen, you know, I was like, I was like, Mom, I figured it all out. If you didn't tell everybody I was going to be a senator, I'd never drunk so much. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, quick, quick little fun here. Uh, so you got some chachis behind you, some some different things. They, you, you like to you like to collect some stuff. You know, when we started this whole Zoom thing. I got criticized once because I was wearing a hoodie and there was nothing behind me. And so mm -hmm. my assistant Veronica did a brilliant job of putting uh, stuff for my so, other so, office. So some visuals, there. some visuals behind you. Nice. Do you collect any like art or any favorite music? What, what are you kind of on as I, a, just a pleasure kick right you know, now? It's funny. I hadn't had the personality of a collector. Uh, I had a, you know, nodders like little, I got a great nodder collection. What's you know, that? like baseball bobbly heads. Oh, called. yeah, yeah, yeah. I got I've a never great heard bobbly it. head yeah, collection yep. that me and my nice. brother went after when we were adults. Nice. Um, I now collect partly, you know, when you're married a long time, uh, I think one of the tricks that I've watched successful couples do is you got to have something to do together besides raise kids. And so my wife and I started collecting art. We've got an African-American art collection and we're building a sculpture park. Nice. That's fun because it gives you something to do together. Yep. And so I know what I like and I love yeah. the stories and I love meeting the artists. I have a terrible memory for even what I own. Yeah. It's like, like, I don't know. I just like that thing. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone's looking for like the deep information on it. You know, you can tell if you're a collector or not. Here's the test. Name like three, four burgundies. Yeah. Name seven if you can't name four burgundies, you're not a collector. Yeah, but you can the like burgundy. Collectors have a way of of knowing that stuff. They care about that stuff. It makes mm -hmm. them happy. 
Yeah, it gives validation a little bit. I'm like, yeah, I'll take the red. (laughs) I I like a good red better than a bad red, and I'll let someone else pick it. And I've got like four or five names of wines I remember, so I don't feel stupid. But it's not important to me. Um, I got friends with wine cellars. They got a story for every bottle. They know exactly what year, 97 was a good year, or this year got too much sun. And so there's a brain type that makes you a collector, and I'm not one. Yeah. Uh, it's, we, we've now spent 43 minutes together. We didn't really go into, into Bitcoin much, but what's, uh, what's like the rest of your day looking like? Well, I got to get a tattoo because Bitcoin broke <laughs> the old highs. And I told people I would get a moon tattoo. You know, it's funny. I, I had one small little tattoo on my ass that we got when we graduated college, uh, Wiley Coyote nice. and wasn't a tattoo guy. And then literally because of my younger brother, uh, I now have one, Two, three, four. I got five tattoos that I've gotten since I'm 50. So tonight I'm going to eat my sixth. Nice. How on, on the parenting thing, uh, if you had a 12 year old that came to you and said, Hey, I want to get a tattoo. How would you go through that process? I would probably encourage a 12 year old not to, but my, my oldest son was very stubborn and very self-assured. And so he got his first tattoo. I think at 16, uh, Certainly he got another one at 17 because my daughters were yelling at me, dad, you can't look at a tattoo. It was a beautiful tattoo. Yeah. And I was like, I kind of like it myself. And so I, I, I think 12 is too young, but you know, by 17, I think you're probably, your kids are, Good I, to go. my theory is let your kids be who they are, mm-hmm. um, not who you want them to be. And that's a tough thing as a parent, right? Very. Yeah. And, and because it's hard and enough to figure out who you are. Too. I think kids spend way too much time in their post high school years talking to their moms. And I think kids should go to college and speak to their parents once a month. When I go to colleges now and say, hey, we'll speak to their parents once a day, 90% of the hands, you know, cause it's easy, you can text your phone. This thing is not helping kids grow up and figuring who they need to be. Yeah, it's doing a lot. Yeah. It's doing a lot. You could do, you could do like 40 PhDs on the internet. <laughs> yeah. That's the truth. Cool. Well, I, I appreciate your time. Thank you so much. It was a lot this of fun. fun. Yeah, it was, it was a good combo. Keep doing your thing. Thanks again for all the uh, All In Challenge stuff. I did a lot of that work on awesome. that with Gary. See the awesome. Bojangles behind you. I like that. Bojangles, best fried chicken in the South. Oh, yeah. Sounds good. I'm sure we'll be crossing paths again soon. Thanks awesome. Nice to see you. Be good. Bye.